You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me right here next to me is Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hi. Hi, Mike. How are you? We survived the postseason. Survived. It was awesome. It was awesome. Loved every minute of it. I, I, listen, I got to go to all seven games, uh, and it was fantastic. And Game 7 probably was the best forget like postseason game, probably just the best game I've ever seen in person. Uh, it was absolutely unbelievable. I called my 95-year-old great-uncle, who's a Cubs fan, who stayed up till the end with a bottle of champagne, and I said, you must have loved watching it. And he said, well, you were there. I would have given my right arm to have been there, which I thought was really cool. So yes, postseason was awesome. The World Series was fantastic. Um, World Series postmortem question for you. A Cubs fan friend of mine said to me, if the Cubs lose that World Series, Joe Madden is the new Grady Little. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? I disagree with that statement. I, I mean, I certainly did not support every move he made. For me, it was less about pulling Hendricks when he did and more about having used Chapman the night before in Game 6 with a, a five-run lead, I think, because you could tell Chapman wasn't exactly capital letters Chapman. In Game 7, he gave up the Rajay Davis home run. His spin rate was down. His velocity was down. That was the issue for me. Well, it wasn't just using him. It was, okay, using him to go to the seventh. Okay, fine. Let him pitch the eighth. He's already warm. I don't like it, but bad. And then, even after they tacked on two runs, letting him start the ninth. Insanity. I didn't love everything Madden did, but it did feel like this weird undercurrent of, actually, Joe Madden isn't a good manager, and the Cubs won in spite of him, which I certainly don't agree with. Maybe it's just because Terry Francona looked so amazing uh, by comparison. So I thought that was kind of weird, but I agree with you. Uh, No, I mean, I don't agree with you in the sense of being Grady Little, but I do agree with you there's some moves that I wasn't totally on board with. For sure. Uh, But now... World Series, that's so four days ago. It's so four days ago. Can you believe that today is already qualifying offer due date day? So in about three hours or so from when we're taping, this is a deadline for qualifying offer decisions. We've already seen a couple of them come out. It sounds like the Phillies are going to give one to Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, I can't believe we're already doing this. Like the World Series just ended, it feels like. Baseball never stops. Baseball never stops. So let's talk a little bit about the free agency market. Um, I think it's already pretty clear it's going to be a very interesting offseason, right? Because... Um, if you look at relief pitchers, just what happened in October probably inflated every decent reliever's market value. But you also have some really, really good closers out there. Jansen and Chapman and Mark Melanson and a couple other guys. Uh, they're going to get paid, like capital letters paid. Would you not agree? Yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, to me, Jansen's the best one. But he's the only one that's going to have a qualifying offer attached to him because Melanson and Chapman uh, both were traded during the season, which sort of negates the ability based on the, the this current CBA rules they can't get given. They're unable to be given a qualifying offer. So as we've seen in years past, that can sometimes make a huge difference. Now, usually with elite players, and these guys are all as closers, they are elite. Um, it usually doesn't have as big of an impact. But when you three guys who are sort of similar, I think it's it could, you know, definitely. It should be interesting to see how that affects Jansen's market value, relatively speaking. But I think we, we've talked about this otherwise. We both think he might end up with the Cubs. Is that what we're kind of predicting here? I think the Cubs, I mean, the Cubs' sort of big weakness, as we saw in the World Series, is their bullpen. So the fact that they are going, they're not, they're going to end up with one of these three guys. And I kind of feel like they had the Chapman experience. Maybe they go back there. But to me, Jansen seems like um, 
a more obvious fifth of them. And obviously, lower stakes, they're going to be picking last in the first well, round. that's what I was going to say. Pick. That, losing that first round pick does not really hurt them as much as it does most other teams. Now, if you have a top 10 pick, it's protected, so you'd lose your second round pick. But also, if you're a team that finished that poorly, you probably don't need to be spending big dollars on an ace closer. So maybe, uh, that, maybe that is a good fit for them. I like that. All right, now who else the Cubs are going to lose? Cubs are probably going to lose Dexter Fowler, right? Where do we, where do we stand on Dexter Fowler? Because he seems like, I think he just finished his age 30 season and had his best year. Is that the new Dexter Fowler? Um, I think that for the short term, maybe he's a good player. But the fact of the matter with the Cubs is they're going to have Schwarber back. Um, presumably he's their everyday left fielder. They want Baez in the lineup every day at second base. That means Zobris has to play right field. That probably means Jason Hayward, who's signed for another six or seven years or whatever, is going to play center field. So, yeah, you could argue they want to keep the depth and maybe they'd want to keep Fowler, but I'm I, guessing I, it's, t- not, it's not going to happen again this year. I have two thoughts on this. One is that Dexter Fowler had his best defensive season ever. He went from negative 20 defensive runs saved two years ago to negative 12 last year to uh, either even or, or plus one this year. He didn't become a better center fielder, right? You don't suddenly become a better defender at age 30. But as we've talked about a lot, uh, they changed his positioning. They pushed him back by a bunch of feet. And you you know, you know, don't lose the extra base hits over your head when you're playing that much deeper. So I do wonder if teams will look at that, look at like the stack cast positioning or look at the defensive run saved to try to judge what he actually is in the outfield, right? I think that's interesting. Uh, and the second thought I have is I feel like I'm in the minority here. I would so trade Kyle Schwarber this winter. The legend of Kyle Schwarber will never be more inflated than it is now. Trade him in a deal for Chris Archer. Go to the Angels and say, now is the time you're going to trade Mike Trout. We're going to start with him and a bunch of other guys. It's not going to happen, but it should totally happen, right? Um, I agree. I was, you know, I've thought this last offseason, even before he got hurt. So I, f- I feel the same way now. I think that he's, he's the kind of player that hurts his value just by having to play the outfield. Um, he should be a first baseman or a DH. I mean, a left-handed hitter like that playing for the Yankees, who now suddenly have a lot of young talent and just lost Teixeira off the books and A-Rod gone, like suddenly have a place for a, you know, bat-only, you know, DH first base type or even right field in that ballpark where it's a tiny amount of ground to cover. But they don't have – who do they have to give up? Like, the Cubs would probably want pitching more than hitting, I would think, in return, right? Um, Probably. So, you know, but it's not – it's not unfathomable for 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 they could if if the Cubs were so inclined they could trade him any number of places. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do it either. I suggested uh, in a tweet the other day that they ought to consider it, and I heard from a million Cubs fans who said, "Well, it's not going to happen because Theo Epstein said they won't trade him." As if every you know executive what they say in public should be taken at total face value. Well, I want to go back to Fowler for a second because um, today on MLB.com, uh, in a story written by Andrew Simon, we unveiled. Tom Tango's, or a, a projection by Tom Tango, ranking the top 25 free agents based on war. It's basically a war-based version of the Marcel projection system. Um, the last three years of war, each the, the, clo- the more recent years weighted more heavily with a penalty for age. It's the, the quick and dirty explanation. Yeah, it. It, it takes your last three years, you weight the more recent years more heavily. As you said, there's a bit a small regression and a little bit of age. It's, it's named Marcel after Marcel the monkey from Friends, I think. Yeah. That's kind of weird. And it's, it's supposed to be incredibly simple. And the idea is that it's the simplest projection system out there, and then you take all the other ones that add a million different layers, and they're only slightly actually more, more impressive than that, which I think is kind of cool. Sometimes simpler is better. So anyway, Fowler, um, going back to him for a second, um, he's fourth on the list, which I think, you know, if you're Dexter Fowler, you're feeling pretty good if you're, you know, coming into this offseason. Hey, I'm the fourth-ranked uh, free agent. Of course, this is based on war, so closers are going to be 
are going to take a hit just because it's it's not closers don't never pitch enough innings to build up their wars. So that's sort of that's sort of built into this the the, the projection. You kind of have to be aware of that and sort of know the context. So above, I think what will probably surprise some people is the number one name on this list. It's not Yoenis Cespedes. That's Correct. what everybody thinks is going to be. He's number two. Number one is Justin Turner, which is actually I think pretty interesting. Now he, you know, he's a very good third baseman. He's coming off of three straight years of above average production. He's basically hit almost as well as uh, as Chris Bryant over the last couple of years, which you wouldn't think about a guy who got non-tendered by the Mets a couple of winters. And ago. he also had a really bad start to this year, coming off a of knee surgery. Yes, and then I guess probably in maybe his mid-May or June he took off, and for the last three or four months was the Justin Turner of 2004. I mean, two years ago he had a 158 weighted runs created plus. That's like that's really good. That's like super superstar level. Over the last three years combined, uh, it's a 138, so 38 percentage points above average, and that is that's really impressive. Now he is 32. Uh, and I get the feeling he probably wants to stay in LA. He's from the area, but he's going to be in line for a pretty nice contract. Let's let's take a wild guess here. I'm going to say he gets four years and $85 million. Yeah, that seems probably in the ballpark. He's just one of these players who doesn't have the pedigree, so I think people don't really know how to... There's always going to be there's going to be enough sort of skepticism around him that I feel like that'll hurt his... You know, Even if he is actually the number one free agent on the market, there's enough skepticism around him that will probably hurt his overall value. My guess is the Dodgers have a need. They clearly have financial might. It seems he's, he's, he's a SoCal guy, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, from Hollywood. It seems like a natural a natural fit. I agree. Uh, so the next guy on the list that is, is interesting to me is number six, and that's Ian Desmond, right? You remember Ian Desmond last year uh, coming off a, a pretty lousy season for Washington, got the qualifying offer, and sat out on the market until like the end of February, signed a, a one-year deal with, with Texas, Moved from shortstop to center field and actually did really well. The first half, he was fantastic. Made the All-Star game. And uh, my guess, and we don't think we know this yet, my guess is he's probably getting the qualifying offer again, right? And if you look at him, he actually really did not have a very good second half. In the second half, 283 on base, 65 weighted runs created plus, where 100 is league average. Over the previous two seasons, he was slightly below league average. This is a guy over the last three years who's basically had about six or eight weeks of really good baseball. Should he take the qualifying offer? It's too hard it, to know. It bit because him last you know, year. It's, it's, and also the thing is, oh, can he go back out and, and sort of market himself as a shortstop again? Because there's not really... I mean, who's the best shortstop on the market right now? Uh, wow. That's a fantastic <laughs> question. Who's the, I don't have an answer to that off the top of my head. So he, ha- he sort of has that going for him. Um, and because, I mean, it's, it, because this, the, the perception of this, this year's market is that it's so weak... Maybe you'll see more players rejecting the qualifying offer than we saw last year, thinking that, hey, in a weak market, maybe there'll be more demand. It's hard to know. I mean, I've never been a huge Ian Desmond fan as a player. He's got loud tools, but there's just you know too much swing and miss in his game for my liking. Can you just imagine a second straight year of him being out there until February? Uh, it's, we've seen that, that bike guys in the past. Uh, I don't know. The other guy who stands out to me, uh, Wilson Ramos. What do you do with Wilson Ramos? It was... It, the best hitting catcher in baseball uh, up until about a week before the end of the season when he blew out his right knee, which I think is the second time he's done that. Hard to see him being a full-time catcher going forward. He's probably not even going to be ready for opening day next year. What do you? How do you value that? And it's a weak catching And market. I would have thought that a reunion with the Nats seemed likely to me before the knee injury, but I don't think the Nats are going to want to rely. They're a contending team. They're not going to re- want to roll the dice on a guy that you know may not be ready, may not be able to catch. They already sort of have to to float Ryan Zimmerman at first base. They don't have a DH spot, so it's like I could actually see Weeters, particularly now that he is uh, 
you know, not getting the qualifying offer. I could see him staying in the... Uh, Maybe. I could see McCann getting traded there, too. Yeah, that, that, I could see that as well. Uh, I know you wanted to talk about Luis Valbuena. Uh, corner infielder from the Astros, which I think nobody really seems to know about him. He's an above-average hitter. Yeah, what's, I mean, he sort of had a... Traded for Dexter Fowler two years ago. I feel yeah. like that's not part of the narrative surrounding him at all. Um, I think most people forget that Dexter Fowler played in the Astros for that one year. I sure do. <laughs> um, but Valbuena has got some pop from the left side, can play both corner positions. He, he'll be interesting to me as a qualifying offer guy because, like, he certainly doesn't seem like the caliber of player, but, like, on a one-year deal... I don't think he'll get it. Just I, because the, the Astros have so many options at that. They, the Gurriel and Bregman, both a good boy third base. If he's on the market without a qualifying offer, he's suddenly, like, a really attractive free agent to a lot of teams just because he can play both corner and field positions credibly, left-handed power. It's just a... It's a it's a, a solid profile for a good 5-6 hitter on a good team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I have a question to ask you. All right, we, we kind of asked about this a little bit before we came on the air. Who's going to get more money or more years this winter? Or, or Aldis Chapman and or Kenley Jansen, so one of the top two closers, or Mark Trumbo? Mark Trumbo just led the sport in home runs, but that's pretty much all he does. So what's more valuable, that or a one-inning reliever? Mark Trumbo is going to be the most divisive player on the free agent market this year. He is 18th in the Tango rankings, which will certainly annoy some people. But, of course, he basically brings virtually zero defensive value to the table, uh, maybe negative defensive value, which in a war, which incorporates... Defense matters. And base we've, running matters. We've learned that so much the last um, couple of years. But, you know, to bring it on the StatCast tip, Mark Trump was 67 barrels this year. He led the league in barrels? Third. Third? Ben Cabrera and Chris, Chris with a K Davis. Chris but, with a K Davis. Um, but, That's a skill, I mean, and that is a skill. He's a, he's a masher. Um... But we've also, the thing is, teams, you know, a couple years ago, the Orioles kind of rejuvenated Nelson Cruz's career. And it seemed like, oh, well, he's just a product of Camden Yards, which is a great place for right-handed power hitters. But then Nelson Cruz went out and signed a four-year deal with the Mariners and has basically lived up. First two, he's been a great deal for the Mariners. He has and paid. I hated that deal. i got to be honest. Me too. <laughs> it's worked out really well. I had the same thoughts. I, so I guess I'm sort of seeing Trumbo as maybe this year's version of Nelson Cruz. And I think that some team is going to pay him to be just a DH and maybe occasional outfielder first baseman and he's not he's not a bad first baseman he just didn't get to play there in Baltimore because they had Chris Davis he's he's a really poor outfielder but if there's some team that would put him at first base he could be an average first baseman is that too much to ask I guess I mean the real issue is that you know it's it's a 316 OBP this year so for all that I mean that is that's for for pure entertainment value and that's all that matters I want to see him in Coors Field they don't have a first baseman. Put him at Coors Field. Let's see him mash some dingers. You know what's interesting? So you said he's 18th on this list. You know 16th on the list? Basically tied because I'm not going to put too much intensive points of war projections here. His teammate, uh, Steve Pierce. Now, I think I'm the world's biggest Steve Pierce fan. If you look at the offseason, you could find a spot for Steve, Steve Pierce in pretty much any team, right? Crushes left-handed pitching. He can play first. He can play corner outfield. He can play a little bit of second or third base. Um, but, you know, he's hurt last year, so he didn't have a great year. He's a guy who I think you could just really find him on any single team. Couldn't you? Like, that versatility, positional versatility is so valued right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's someone that uh, I think he's a really good fit with the Mets, who have a ton of left-handed I've hitting. I've been saying that for the last three winters. <laughs> <laughs> with, with all the left-handed hitters in the outfield and their first base, you know, you, there, there, there'd be plenty of at-bats for him on that team. Um, but, you know, he's even – I mean, granted, he only – you could spot him against, like, looking at his pure Wade runs created plus, it's a little bit misleading, 136, because he doesn't really have to face righties all that often. But, you know, there's enough 
there are a lot of left-handed pitchers, and if he can play a few positions, so you can sort of platoon him at a couple of spots, essentially, and find him regular bats that way. You know who I think is going to be the best value, I think, of this, of this offseason? Uh, Mark Melanson, right? Because, you know, Chapman's going to get paid. Uh, Kenley Jansen's going to get paid. I think those guys might, might touch the $100 million mark. And I know that sounds crazy, but those two guys, maybe. What are you going to get Melanson for? $40 million? Plus? Mark, yeah, Mark Melanson, he's, it's not sexy, but he specializes in weak contact. So while Jansen and Chapman are striking everyone out, Mark Melanson, he prevents you from hitting the ball hard. This year, 7.2% of batted balls against him were below 85 miles per hour in exit velocity, which was ninth in MLB for pitchers with 1,000 pitches. Yeah, um, he allowed five barrels all season. All season long. Yeah. I, I think that that's interesting. If you look at a guy... Listen, he's not as good as Zach Britton, and I'm not pretending that he is, but he, he, he does not allow the ball to be hit as hard or as, as Zach Britton does. Part of that's because Zach Britton doesn't allow barrels. Everything gets pounded straight into the ground. But Mark Melanson's been a pretty successful and underrated closer for a bunch of teams for the last couple of years. Someone's going to get him without giving up a draft pick and pay half of what the other guy's going to get. Yeah, low, uh, lower walk rate than both Jansen and uh, Chapman. He's, he's got. I think he's going to be the – I mean, not as much as a closer can be a bargain. Right. But he's going to – I could see him getting like half of what those guys. That's get. what I'm saying. He's got he's got San Francisco written all over him, right? That's like my number one stone cold lock of the entire winter. Mark Melanson, San Francisco Giants. Well, that's I mean that's part of why it's such a good 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 time to be a relief pitcher on the market because there's all these teams that we saw in the postseason when bullpens loomed large that looked really vulnerable at the back end. The Giants probably first and foremost on that list, and so it seems of all the teams that go out and sign a closer. They seem most likely, but then you have the Cubs who are losing Chapman, so they would seemingly do so. The Dodgers who are losing Jansen, and based on their financial might, just seem likely to, to be in the market for one. The Nationals are losing Melanson. They're going to want to get in that game. So there's there's a lot of teams out there that are contenders that usually carry fairly big payrolls that are all going to com- be competing for these same three guys. Um, and to answer your question before, I think that Trumbo will, at least one of these guys will get more than Trumbo. I'm not sure if... if Two or three of them will, but I think one of them will get more than Trumbo. Uh, that's going to be interesting to find out. So I want to finish up asking about some starting pitchers here. Okay, There's a couple of starting pitchers on the market who are both top five in curveball spin rate, right? Rich Hill and Jeremy Hellickson. So we saw today that Hellickson did get the qualifying offer. And if you think about Jeremy Hellickson, you do not think of him as a guy who is worth $17.2 million. However, as we've talked about, the starting pitching market is hot garbage. Like there is, he might be the best starting pitcher, him or Rich Hill, who's the other guy I want to talk about. Bartolo Colon, who I love, but he's 44 years old. Jason Hamill, who just had his option to cry. It's not a good market for starting pitching. So it wasn't so much shocking to me as it was to other people that uh, Hellickson got the offer. I think he might actually turn it down. Believe that? Um, I could very, I could very much see it. And to me, for the Phillies, it, it makes perfect sense to do it because on a one-year deal, that's the thing about the qualifying offer. It's like, unless you have clear internal solutions like the Astros we talked about with Valbueno at third base, where it's like, oh, we have clear cost-controlled solutions that we think may be better. Like, particularly for starting pitchers, like, one-year deal, like, it's not going to, like, loom, it's not going to hang over your franchise. Like, this is not the Ryan, this won't be the Ryan Howard deal. For no, the well, that's the thing, is they've shed so much money. You know, Howard's gone, Reese has gone, Utley's gone. They have a very young team now. They're not really paying anybody anything. So, so it, to have a pitcher that you feel like, okay, this guy can take the ball, he can spare a bullpen a little bit to help support the young guys who may need the bullpen help a little bit more just in terms of keeping their innings limits down. But, yeah, he might, he might turn down. But I don't really know what he'd get. I think that the trademark of restoring pitchers is what's going to be fascinating. And the other thing is if he has to go out there with a qualifying offer on his back, he might be out there to March. Because yeah. who wants to give up a first-round pick for him? 
Yeah, again, you know, what we, what we may see is what we've seen in the past is where it's like a team that goes out and signs Cespedes and also needs a starting pitcher might be like, well, we've already given up our first round pick. So like... Right, why stop now? Yeah, why stop now? So that's, that's sort of what we've seen, the, the sort of a quote-unquote strategy we've seen teams do with, with, the, with the qualifying offer system, which might change under the new CBA, but I imagine it won't change until at least next year now that we're already starting this and starting the offseason and the CBA doesn't... Uh, expire until December 1. Uh, and the last guy we should bring up is uh, StatCast hero Rich Hill. Right, Rich Hill has a top five curveball spin rate, uh, a very well above average four-seam spin rate. And those are the only two pitches he throws, more or less. I think he set a record this year, 49% curveball rate. We've never seen anybody do that over more than a handful of innings. And, you know, we all know the Rich Hill story by now. He is really, really effective and unbelievably fragile, right? Like a soft wind might blow Rich Hill over, but he's very, very good. How do you value that? I have absolutely no idea. He doesn't have the qualifying offer attached. He does because not. Because he was traded midseason, so that helps. Um, I think he'll get a really nice two-year deal. Ch- like, I was thinking... Like two for like 36 or two for 40. Oh, see, that's a little more than I thought he would get. I was, I was going to say something like three for 30 or maybe two plus an option for 30. You think somebody will give him a guaranteed 40? Um, I mean, that's a lot for a guy who you expect maybe 100 innings a year out of. Or maybe it's like one of those where it's, you know... One big guaranteed year with a team option, so the team, you know, sort of like the team sort of holds, holds the future in their hand. Um, but he's the only player, pitch starting pitcher on this list that you look at and feel like, okay, this guy could be a one or a two for me. And when you're the only guy that fits that bill, I think that will change the dynamics as such that it will allow him to get, you know, at least, you know, potentially forty million. I. I just have a feeling he's going to end up back with the Red Sox for like the 14th time because that's where he always seems to end back up and that's kind of where he resuscitated his career uh coming out of indie ball last year with Brian Bannister who's been a guest on the show you know I mean if if Dave Dombrowski is interested in that I could totally see that happening I mean they're they're they'll they'll be a player he's, he's from he's from the Boston area he's, from Milton Massachusetts that's absolutely right he's from Milton Massachusetts uh so anyway free agency gets started I mean in a couple hours we'll know what teams have handed out qualifying offers and I believe they have five days after that uh to accept or not accept which I don't think is enough time but that's I think, it's a, week. I think it's a week from today. is it a week okay yeah. well you're right it is a week from today so that's uh I feel like that's not enough time for players to decide because like who even knows what the market's going to be in a week that's sort of the that's, but that's a different challenge. conversation that's part, of, that's part of the fun so we'll um, see how the qualifying offers system changes with the new CBA. But I will say for this upcoming winter, uh, trades, it's going to be all about trades. It's going to be big time on trades because you just can't go out and buy enough talent. Right? Yeah, and while we're, you know, while we're, uh, we, we lauded, uh, we sang Andrew's, Andrew Simon's praise before for his piece on the 25 free agents, his piece on Theo Epstein's trade record. Um, yes. Is another worth bringing up and something that, um, it, he basically looked back at all the trades Theo Epstein has made since he took over five years ago in Chicago. Basically his first trade he lost when he traded away DJ LeMahieu and got back. That's where he got back Tyler Colvin. No, I think I think Colvin went with him and they got back Ian Stewart. Was, oh, yeah, that's was, what it was. Was right. And uh, Casey Weathers. Casey Weathers. All right. So and and LeMahieu turned into a pretty good player. player. That's a trade he clearly lost. And that was trade number one. Since then, you can't really say he's lost a trade. And he's well, some of them. He's won massively. We're getting Arietta and Strope and Strope. Getting Rizzo for Andrew Kashner. Getting uh, Kyle Hendricks. In um, two separate trades, getting uh, Hendricks, Carl Edwards Jr., and Justin Grimm from Texas in two deals for Dempster and Matt Garza. I mean, both of those are steals. You know, um, Fowler from Balbuena, not a not a clear win, but one they're clearly happy yeah. with. Picking up uh, busted starters in Wood and Cahill and turning them into useful relievers. So the list the list goes on and on. And, you know, he may end up, quote-unquote, losing the Chapman trade if Glaber Torres turns into a star, but they won the World Series. 
Chapman helped. They're never. Gonna, it's never going to be a trade. That they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we flags did. fly forever. Uh, don't forget, also he traded Jeff Samarja for Addison Russell. That worked out <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, maybe, that's, maybe that's in one <laughs> trade. So anyway, point being, we've seen the Cubs basically build. You know, all the credit they're given for building a young winner. They didn't do it to the draft. Yeah, they got Brian in the draft, but the biggest impact players on their team, for the most part, can be a trade. Mostly trade, uh, one or two good draft picks in Bryant and Schwarber, a couple of big money deals for Lester and uh, Ben Zobrist. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, it's it's all trades. And that, that's a good kickoff for the winter because I think we're going to see a lot of trades. For sure. And I'm excited about that. So that's our show for this week. Uh, I'll be back next week. I'll be back next week. I'll see Matt in a few weeks. Uh, this is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. See you next week.